Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away. Let me speak for the love of God. And good morning to all of you out there listening today, or whatever time of the day, or whatever day of the week, or whatever the case. G'day. This is Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShemp.net. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Although the fact that you're even listening to me right now kind of means you've already found us, so none of that really applies. <laughs> but, uh, you can also visit fakeship.net to find all of our content scrunched together in one place, including exclusive videos, bonus discussions, movie reviews, and more. My name is Glenn Cochran, the host with a penchant for pizza. Uh, thanks for joining us today. The other guy here with me on the other side of the screen is Ben Halwig, the master of his own domain. <laughs> hey, Ben, what's cracking, mate? <laughs> that is uh, that is not true. I have never <laughs> in in this in in Seinfeld parlance, I am not the master of my own domain. <laughs> uh, well, stick around with us, everyone, because later in the episode, I will be chatting with writer director Mark Savage whose movie Purgatory Road has finally been released in Australia and New Zealand. And of course, our reliable compadres, Jarrett, Guillermo and Adam, as well as the guys from Bonehead Weekly, will be doing their thing and bringing you up to date with what's been happening. Now, if one thing's for certain, Ben, it's the fact that you have been chomping at the bit to discuss Forsaken Desert Vampires, or as my recent Google search called it, Dessert vampires. <laughs> but I reckon, um, mate, let's hold on to that because I reckon we can make something of this. Perhaps have that conversation land with the thump and try to get some of the cast and crew on board to talk about it. That would be amazing. Yes. And here's one other thing that is uh, for certain. I've not really covered any of the news this week. I'm not up to date with anything. I've been so damn busy. Uh, so my news introduction... I've got nothing. What have you got? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you saw like this week or I should say uh, late last week, uh, Monsterfest announced that uh, Shudder had come on board as a uh, major uh, sponsor of the festival, which is fantastic. Uh, we also announced the closing night film, which would be The Dark and the Wicked, which is big news. Um, written and directed by Brian Bertino, uh, the man behind The Strangers. Um, this one, once again, uh, actually it's more like strangers too. Once again, follows a brother and sister, uh, uh, who run into trouble, uh, at, at night as all horror, good horror films, uh, <laughs> uh, take place in. Uh, we also announced, uh, The Hunted, a Belgian film, um, directed by, uh, the, uh, Vincent Paranod, who directed, uh, Persepolis. I don't know if you saw that, uh, animated film. From, I did. I didn't see I that. One. About a de- I feel like it was about a decade ago, or maybe more. Persepolis. Um, it was a pretty big deal. I remember when it came out. Um, and also, it was also important to note that, uh, uh, in terms of horror news, last Friday was the birthday 
of uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Oh, there we go. Cassandra Peterson turned uh, turned sixty nine, dude. <laughs> mm, a delicious age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that um, that shutter news is that's like that's nothing to bulk at. That's huge. It's yeah. Look, we're we're super excited about it. Um, you know, we've been in talks with Shutter for, uh, I think since 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 they launched in Germany, yeah, right. which was probably about three or four years ago. Uh, and so the the fact that it's finally happened is is massive, and we're uh, super excited about it. And we're just glad that they're finally here in Australia. And uh, I personally am am looking forward to the unveiling of a lot more Shutter titles. Uh, on their on their platform, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully in the festival, oh, uh, and in the festival for, for for years to come. That would be amazing because they they actually they do they buy films worldwide mm-hmm. for worldwide rights, and like we 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 played films like Revenge a couple of years ago was our closing night film uh, that is only recently coming out. So um, hopefully now that they're in Australia, those films will come out and we'll get access to them a lot sooner. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, well, I, I can't imagine that they would um, have as many sort of allies in other parts of the world like Monster. Like, you know, it's a really good partnership. Yeah, we think so. We think we bring uh, a lot of uh, a lot to the table. And now that you mentioned uh, that, there's a bit more Monster News, wasn't there, just in regards to the Melbourne leg of the festival? Uh, the, the, uh, unfortunately, the oh, uh, no. Melbourne leg has That's been a... postponed, unfortunately, due to the... Uh, the COVID-19 lockdowns. Um, theoretically, I guess the cinemas may be open like the day before mm-hmm. the festival was due to begin, but there was just no way to really yep. uh, bank on that. Uh, and it, it's just impossible to organize a festival of, of the size of Monster Fest with like yeah, two days notice about whether it's going to happen. Or not. It's just, uh, it's not something that can happen, but uh, you know, uh, Cinema Nova are a phenomenal uh, partner uh, in the festival, and you know they're they're committed to working with us. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to uh, have a, a festival or a mini festival or mm. the festival in some other kind of format a bit later in the year or early next year. Yeah, for sure. Now, in case you're listening to this for the first time, this is not the Monster Fest podcast, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we we do have that close affiliation. Obviously, Ben works for them, uh, so we like to report on that kind of stuff here. So make sure you follow Monster Fest on Facebook or even monsterfest.com.au uh, just to be updated with all that kind of stuff. Um, but as far as the, the week in movie news, thank God for Guillermo because we'll let him carry the weight of the week because uh, I've got nothing else, mate. No, I I did see the I did see the new James Bond trailer. I saw the one where Pierce Brosnan's face was superimposed on it. Is that the one you're talking about? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. I actually I just saw the I just saw the the new the whatever the new teaser trailer is dropped. I didn't see that uh, someone had superimposed uh, Pierce Brosnan on for it. For someone that for for someone that's got such an issue with Bond, you're like a glutton for punishment, mate. I tell you what, like I watched that trailer and I, I, I it's just like, come on, man. <laughs> Come on! Since when is since when are action sequences action sequences are supposed to further the plot, not be mistaken for plot? Uh, <laughs> oh, and mate. for some, and you know, and now Money Penny's behind a desk again. Like what the hell? What's going? I like how they keep they kind of keep it as if the original Bond movies are kind of still 
part of canon, but then 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 they're but they're not canon. It's a whole new bond that like that's you know. But they keep making these kind of cheeky side references to the to the to the you know forty year history of Bond and stuff. And you're like, well, I, I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> Bloody cubby broccoli. <laughs> that's what it all really comes down to at the end. I really don't understand what's going on. Yeah, I've turned into an old man. I'm grumpy because <laughs> I uh, I don't get it. This newfangled, this newfangled Bond with his newfangled gadgets. In my day, all James Bond had was a hairpiece and an attractive woman, and the back of a fist. <laughs> That's right, and and, a, and an accent. But in the meantime, um, the man himself, our own James Bond, gone, Jared Gunn, is gonna. Tell you what's coming out on DVD. <laughs> In the meantime, I'm going to take a swig of this coffee because I think I need it. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now, it's an exciting week for home entertainment as there's two distributors releasing films to disc this week and half of those are Blu-ray. There's only four films coming out, which means there's only two Blu-rays coming out. Anyway, kicking off with Roadshow, we've got Love, Sarah. Now you'd be forgiven for thinking that maybe this is a follow-up to that 2018 film Love, Simon, only this time it's about a young girl finding her sexuality. Well, you're wrong. This film is about three generations of women that open a bakery. Yep, it's the kind of film you'd watch with your mum, but if you're like me and live in Victoria, then you haven't seen your mum for months, and maybe that's a blessing in disguise because you won't be forced to watch Love, Sarah with her. Moving on to Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, They've got three releases this week, and they're all genre-centric releases. The first one's Blackwater Abyss. Now, this is being released on DVD and Blu-ray. This is from the director of Blackwater and The Reef, returning with another creature feature, this time a follow-up to Blackwater, albeit though really only entitled. It's a middling effort that had a brief theatrical run in August, but really should have just landed on home entertainment all along. There's a little gore in it, but sadly the suspense is lacking, and if you're thinking of watching this movie, I suggest you watch Crawl. And if you've seen Crawl, watch it again and thank me later. <laughs> Moving on to the next release, which is a DVD-only release. It's You Should Have Left. Now, this should have been an awesome reunion between filmmaker David Kep and actor Kevin Bacon after their absolute banger of 1999 effort, Stir of Echoes. However, this ends up being a dull haunted house affair. It's no wonder it's headed straight to home entertainment and there's no special features on this DVD either. The last release from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment this week is Psycho Uncut. It's being released to Blu-ray only, that's correct, no DVD, but also no 4K Ultra HD as it has been released in other territories. Now Hitchcock's 1960 classic continues to be a cash cow for Universal as this is the first time they've released Psycho in an uncut form on home entertainment outside of Germany of course, and there's three sequences that have been extended, so that's where that uncut thing comes from. There's an extended sequence of Norman perving on Marion as she readies herself for a shower. Then there's an extended sequence of Norman cleaning up after Marion's murder where he's just washing his bloodied hands. And then there's more stabs of Abagast by Norman. Really, it's nothing major. It's not like you get any new scenes. But look, regardless, it's great that Universal have met the fan demand and put it out on disc. There's no new special feature content. However, it does port over all the special features from the previous 2010 Blu-ray release. That's it for me this week. So until next time, stay physical. Are you going north again? I'm leaving immediately. I want to see the ice bears and glaciers. Can I come with you? December 7th. 
What began as an adventure... War is coming, child. ...will become an epic battle. You're under our protection. ...to save their world. Just let them try to stop us. All right, Ben. Uh, Religious-themed films. Uh, what angle are you thinking of taking here? I mean, there's the 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 sort of anti-religious. There's the historic, the preachy. Surely, there's room for Hallmark in this conversation. I was going to say, like, you know, my love for Hallmark movies, and <laughs> they do you. They do can have a a bit of a because they're. I mean, look, Hallmark are kind of most famous for their Christmas uh, movies, and they all do have religious connotations to them and everyone's always going to church and doing things at their church and but they they were also American so you know sometimes I I don't I don't even think that so much of the church stuff actually has anything to do with religion it's more to do with being American <laughs> uh, which is yeah uh, a bit weird but um no look I I do I do thoroughly enjoy those kind of feel good faith movies sometimes they're they're uh, some are better than others like some get a bit too preachy and some uh, I watched one on Netflix uh, yesterday called uh, The Healer, and though it clearly is a religious film, like it, it, it 100% has to do with faith and spirituality, but they do kind of keep it on the back burner. Uh, they don't kind of rub your they don't face, bang you over the head with it. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's it's um, it's you know, it's kind of in the background, and it's uh, what's what's his name? Jonathan Price is in it, and I guess he's kind of playing playing Jesus or God. Uh, yeah. kind of thing, but it, it's very kind of subtle, and there's even like there's a lesbian character in it and everything like that. Like it's just a, it's actually it was like a fun, a fun kind of film. Um, well, this yeah. is the, this is the thing I like about those ones that are a bit more subtle, and like I'm going to talk about it a few in a minute. Is that you know if you're a person who does not have any faith, you know, like myself, you can still watch these films because it is it is no less fictional than any other movie like you know the the faith within the film makes no difference to the story it's just something you accept and you watch but when they become preachy and you feel like they're trying to brainwash you for lack of better term that's when i have an issue but these other ones where you know it's no different from watching hans gruber drop from bloody from the nakatomi plaza well, you know, look, I was I was watching I, I was watching a um, a trailer on Netflix for, and I can't remember the name of the film, but it's basically it, it's it's a, this this reporter who has come back from Afghanistan and he's uh, a bit of a mess and he's trying to get his life back together, uh, and he gets the chance to interview a man who's claiming that he is God, and it's David Strathairn is the is the man. And yep. there's a great bit where he uh, in the in the trailer where he he, he he one of the questions he asks him is um uh can you not believe in God and be a moral person and David Strathairn says uh, yes you can uh, but you can also build a house uh, not on a solid foundation and everything's fine you just better hope that the earth doesn't move. And yeah. you're like, okay, like, I mean, it seems to be like, I mean, that movie is actually one of the ones that I, I guess they beat you over the head with it because he literally is talking to God, but it it didn't seem to be done in a kind of condescending or um, yeah. like a forceful way. Like that's the, yeah. the worst one. The worst ones are the ones where they have zero tolerance for non yeah. like non believers. Like you have to do 
what the Bible says. You have to do what Jesus tells you. Like you have no choice yeah. in the matter. And I mean, that flies against the face of free choice that God is supposed to have yeah. given us all. Uh, so I always find, I find that stuff to be, but then, and, and it look, even that, even the, the, the ability for self-determination flies against one of the commandments. I'm not sure which one where I think it may be the first commandment, which is, I think, you know, I am the Lord. I am the Lord, the God, our Lord, uh, thou shalt worship no one other than me or whatever yeah. it is, which is a, literally a commandment. But then you're like, well, I don't, if that's a commandment, then uh, yeah, you're falling asleep while I'm talking about commandments. <laughs> but I don't know if that's a commandment or you know whatever. But like, let's 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 concentrate on the films rather than the Look, theology. Those are well, yeah. I, I consider those to be what I would call talking head films um, yeah. because they're made for their own specific demographic. And if you find yourself watching it, you've got to ask, my God, how did I get here? Yeah, <laughs> that was that was my lamest joke ever. <laughs> in fact, it's so bad. I think I might have to layer a laugh track from somewhere else in the show. Over it, you stopped talk. You stopped talking sense. Uh, <laughs> Why did you find my joke so funny, Ben? Yeah. <laughs> Five layers of laughter. Yeah. Um, Hang on. Let's, <laughs> Hang on, just a second of silence. <laughs> so yeah, you can uh... stick that where it wasn't before. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can feel free to right. use that. Uh, feel free to use that after my jokes. Okay, cool. When they fall flat, we'll have. We should just bank like four hours of laughter, and I can just sort of snip it. Anyway, that could be the show. That could be one week's the show when we <laughs> feel like taking a week off. We just yeah. intro the show, one joke, and then an hour of laughing. <laughs> Funniest show ever, <laughs> mate. Do you want to do you want to take the lead on this one? Have you got a few films that you uh, uh, want to bring up? Look, I, I like I do. I've got. I th I'm not actually sure if I've talked about it on the show before, um, but I used to. <laughs> I used to. I was a, the life of the party. I used to go around uh, to <laughs> a mate's place. Uh, and he once every couple of months he would have a tap king party, and uh, it'd be uh, him and a bunch of his mates and his girlfriend at the time and a bunch of her friends, uh, and there'd be a big party. And rather than uh, join in the frivolity, I would sit on his couch and he had a VPN, and I so I could watch US Netflix, and I would sit there and watch with subtitles on and the volume down because of course it's a party and there's music going. I would watch weird faith films, and uh, <laughs> you there were are a that couple. Guy. <laughs> are, I was that guy, and every now and then, every other people from the party would come down and sit down and be like, "What the fuck are you watching?" And like they would be mesmerized. They would sit there. They'd sit there for about twenty minutes, and then go, "Okay, I can't take any more of this," and they would get up and leave. But I would stay and watch the whole thing. <laughs> Surprising number of these films starred Cliff from Cheers. Uh, John Ratzenberger would would appear. Uh, Kevin Sorbo <laughs> would turn up quite a bit. Even uh, Christy Swanson, of course, uh, turned up a couple of times. But my absolute favourite, uh, and there are a couple of these, and it's since I've learned since been turned into a TV series, uh, was this film called uh, The Encounter, uh, and it started right. this guy Bruce Marciano, who I think has pretty much made a career out of playing Jesus Christ, and it's okay. it's basically like it's like a highway to heaven type scenario, but <laughs> he's a lot more forceful with people and literally demands that they obey him. 
They open their heart to him. And he's Jesus. And in the first one, he's Jesus. And he works as a waiter in a roadside diner. And uh, <laughs> up ahead, there's a, there's a flood, of course, because it's a biblical yep. film. There is a flood and the road ahead is blocked off and people can't get through. So all these travelers are stranded at this roadside diner. And he basically informs them that uh, he's Jesus. And his name tag says Jesus. Like he's not hiding it. It's not subtle. Yep. Uh, but and they have to have faith with faith in him. And if they just have faith and open their heart and do exactly as he says, uh, they will live a glorious life. And, and if they don't, and in this case, uh, if they don't, means believing the local sheriff, who is also the devil, uh, who who routinely would come into the diner and tell them that the road is actually clear and they can go. And if any of them, and Jesus says, no, don't listen to him. Uh, you got to stay here and listen to the words of Jesus. You, um, and if they go, you they have drown. definitely talked about this one on the show. Yeah, it is you've definitely, you've definitely talked about it's it. It's a phenomenal, it's a phenomenal series. And they've turned it into a TV series. So like, it really is like a highway to heaven. So in each episode, Jesus <laughs> is doing like, is working a different job and, uh, forcing people to, uh, to have faith. <laughs> so look and it's I don't know if I I don't know if you've uh, if you've sold me on it. <laughs> <laughs> look they are they are they, they definitely deserve to be seen. Like if you're into things like Wakali Wood and you know bizarre kinds of cinema, this this is this is 10 yeah. times more bizarre than any Kirk Cameron firefighter nonsense uh that he's coming up with in the US oh. these days. This is definitely one oh, to check mate. out just as a, as a head scratching what am I watching? And the sequel which is the right. encounter Paradise Lost, like it's all set around a drug deal at a resort in Bali uh, after a tsunami. Like it is, <laughs> it is totally amazing. Wow, that does sound amazing. <laughs> and um, your, I think your favorite, uh, <laughs> your favorite actors in it, uh, uh, legendary uh, kind of, I want to say, sea level <laughs> action star. What's his name? Um, keep going. Keep going. Uh, where is he? <laughs> the anticipation's killing me. It's. I'm trying to find. I'm. Lo I'm looking it up on on IMDb right now. And I. I what have they done? Scott. Is it Scott Atkins? Yes, indeed. He is. Scott Atkins I is the Atkins. Uh, <laughs> future James Bond, mate. He's the. He's the. Uh, he think he play, he's plays like a DEA agent who may. I would love to see him as James Bond. Uh. Did I did I did Isaac Florentine yeah, No, sorry, it? I'm wrong. It's not Scott Atkins. It's Gary Daniels. Oh. Gary Daniels is the is the TV version of Scott Atkins, which is an amazing thing to say. Mate, you you built me up, and then you and just then like dropped me. <laughs> if it's any cons if it's any consolation, uh, Gary Daniels also starred in Tekken and Fist of the North Star, and he plays the Brit in The Expendables. So he's got a he's got a bit of a pedigree. But he's just like a he's such a Z grade kind of martial arts guy. But yeah, we are nothing if not informative on uh, Good Movie Monday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these movies, I have to say, these movies are no longer on on uh, new, on uh, US Netflix. So good luck trying to find them. Excellent, nice. It's nice when we can recommend a relevant uh, and hard to find movie to people. <laughs> hey, like Jesus, if you uh, if you believe, you will find it. I'm gonna move on. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Should we take in turns? So I'll do one, then you do another. Okay. 
All right, so the one I'm going with is 1992. It is Leap of Faith with Steve Martin and Deborah Winger and Liam Neeson. Ah, oh, he's the well, he's the televangelist. He's an evangelist, faith healer who drives across America and finds himself in a small town, um, where he just you know he's he's obviously a charlatan. He tries to fleece the town of their money and and teach them the error of their ways and all this kind of stuff. But it turns out that you know, in typical schmaltzy fashion, it's the town that actually embrace him and show him the error of his ways. You know, and often that kind of thing is a little bit distasteful for me, but. With this film, I don't think it's about the destination. It's more about that that journey. And I just love the tone and the comedy of Leap of Faith. It's not a film that really did that well, performance-wise. Perhaps on video more than theatrical. But, yeah, it's worth revisiting. I think Steve Martin with a crazy hairdo and, you know, <laughs> being an evangelist is hilarious. I remember seeing the trailer a lot, but I don't think I ever saw it. Like this and, was it Mixed Nuts? Was that the other one he yeah. did where he was in therapy? Yes. Like those two, I always got them mixed up, and I did. I've never seen either of them. Mm, right, and there was uh, what my my blue heaven. I think those those ones were the ones that I used to confuse. Yeah, which uh, the, my favorite thing about my blue heaven though is that they they remade the like they or they didn't remake it, but the same character is in was in a, another another movie, a kind of biopic about that Steve Martin character, but this time it's played by Vin Diesel, and Vin Diesel has like a grey wig on to try and make him look. Like the guy slash Steve Martin, which is pretty, just pretty funny. That is. What is that movie? Oh gosh, now we're going down a rabbit I hole. I can't remember. And I've made a promise to my computer that I will never type in Vin Diesel's name, uh, okay. so I can't look well, it up. <laughs> look, I it's it's a rabbit hole. I would willingly fall down, but just don't want to step into. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, maybe maybe you just go ahead with your next one that, that you uh that, you, that comes to your mind. Uh, okay. Uh, which I look, I guess this, this movie does center around faith, but it is not a faith, uh, mm-hmm. film. It's just a, it's a plot of the film, uh, which is 1986, uh, sixes, the name of the rose. Oh yeah. Uh, starring, starring the greatest James Bond uh, of all time. Uh, Mr. Sean Connery, uh, the greatest Jack Nicholson, uh, that's not Jack <laughs> Nicholson, Christian Slater. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, uh, what's his name? William Hickey uh, pops up in it. Ron Perlman plays like a weird pig man. Is F. Murray and, Abraham well, in that one? I look, he would have to. I think he is. Isn't he like one of the? Um, he's one of the kind of main. I think because the whole the whole conceit of the film, like it's a it's a murder mystery, but the reason Sean Connery and his disciple, uh, or I think he's just a disciple. I think that's what they call him in the film. Uh, travel to this monastery in uh, this remote monastery, uh, and they're uh, representatives of the order of the Franciscan friars, Franciscan yep. friars. Who and the debate there is whether or not the French friars, the French friars, to be excommunicated, <laughs> because you know they, they you know they interpret a, an, a a passage in the Bible to mean that uh, you know I think I, can't, I think their thing is like is is like loving animals like uh, is. Uh, and nature and the other the other orders of the church don't believe their interpretation is correct so they believe their order should be outlawed and all of their members are burnt as heretics and like it's, the stakes are pretty high but then while they're there having these discussions there's a, a murder there's a there's a murder or, or one or two murders and that there's all sorts of weird kind of you know repressed psychosexual kind of stuff going on in the monastery with um uh, all of the kind of the monks and the friars and stuff and 
I think Christian Slater ends up having sex with a serving girl because if you're Christian Slater and... Uh, there is a really weird sex scene in that one. Yeah. If you're Christian Slater, what else are you going to do? <laughs> if you've never seen what what Christian Slater's bare ass looks like, <laughs> this is the movie for you. But, uh, look, and I, look I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And one, that's another one, funnily enough, that they've just recently turned into a TV series with um, John Turturro in the, in the Sean Connery role. Uh, which uh, I find fascinating. All right, so um, I'm going to go right back to 1977, uh, a Carl Reiner classic, Oh God! Exclamation mark, which um, has an absolutely incredible cast. We've got George Burns and John Denver and Terry Gard, Donald Pleasance, Paul Savino, Ralph Bellamy, Dinah Shaw. Do you remember this one? Yeah, look, funnily enough, I remember it with John Ritter in it. <laughs> Rather than John Denver, <laughs> which uh, in my head made it infinitely a, a better film. But I used to watch this. My um, my cousins lived, uh, or my uncle and aunt, I should say, they lived about an hour and a half away from us, so we didn't visit them too often. And when we did, just to keep to keep me and my sister entertained, they would put on uh, a videotape. And the only thing they ever had, the only things they had on videotape, were. Uh, Lost in Space, episodes of Lost in Space, which I absolutely hated, and Oh God, and Oh God, You <laughs> Devil. Uh, so I've I've seen it a few which times. Is number, which is number three. Which is number three. Yeah, they they never had the second one, which uh, <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't know there was an Oh God book too. <laughs> I guess when you think about it, this is like a precursor to Bruce Almighty because it's essentially the story of God uh, manifesting himself in an old man asking a young man who is John Denver to spread the word of the Lord and. Isn't that what Bruce Almighty is all about? Or just like, what's that uh, new TV series that God friended me or whatever it is, the social media version where God That's friends right. him on Facebook? <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Works in mysterious ways, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got next? Uh, okay, I'm going to talk about, possibly, this is possibly the last John Carpenter film apart from like new ones, of course, but the last kind of classic John Carpenter mm. film uh, that I saw, and I saw it quite late, like post 2010, uh, is Prince of Darkness from 1987, which I don't know what, like it's one of those films that when I finally watched it, I remember thinking, what the hell is wrong with me? Why have I not seen this before? I had purposely avoided it for some reason, like something about it struck me as I'm not going to like this. Uh, and I don't want to watch it. And the, like the first, the second I put it on and it's Egg Chen from uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, and I'm like, <laughs> yep. I, was, I was in. And I'm like, this is like, and I actually, like I, I think the first time I watched it, I immediately watched it again straight after because it is just so, so awesome. Like such a good kind of horror film. Um, it's, isn't it the second in John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy, I think they call it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, I've never, I've never really figured out how that's a trilogy. Yeah, look, I'm, I, th- I think they're just they're just related by, by the fact that the end of the world is nigh, right? In in uh, in all three, of them. <laughs> I guess that was the the connection. I mean, is. the thing doesn't really fit. Uh, I can un- I can understand the in the mouth of madness and Prince of Darkness, but I don't get how the thing is part of that. <laughs> yeah. Like the, I mean, unless the thing has sprung from the canister of evil that they discover under the church in, uh, <laughs> in this one, 
it's like yeah, it's a, it's an alien. I, I guess I yeah yeah. I, I, let's not go into uh, into into that. Okay. But, um, <laughs> this uh, this film does also start. Leave us a comment. <laughs> uh, yeah, leave us a comment. And explain explain it to us. Peter Jason turns up in this one, uh, and of course uh, Susan Blanchard, uh, Lisa Blount, who has uh, appeared in many a great film, uh, and uh, and. Uh, uh, what's his name as well from uh, Big Trouble? Dennis, Dennis Dunn uh, turns up as one of the students because the whole, the whole he's he plays um, Wang in Big Trouble in Little China. I'm positive his name is yeah, Dennis, right. Dennis, um, Dennis Dunn. Yep, totally is Dennis Dunn. So the, basically, they discover this canister uh, under this church, and then uh, Egg Shen, who is a, a, a I don't remember if Egg Shen goes to see Donald Pleasance or Donald Pleasance goes to see Egg Shen um, is a, is a like lecturer at university. So he, he uh, organizes like a sleepover with a bunch of his students uh, to study the phenomenon. <laughs> and of course it breaks loose uh, as does all of hell. And, and uh, Alice Cooper, who, mm. who just wanted to, who loved horror films and just uh, wanted to be in a horror film. So came down for a day and shot and shot some scenes uh, plays a homeless, an evil, <laughs> an evil bum. That's the excuse he used to get onto bloody Freddy's yeah. dead. And you know, it's a great excuse. Like if I was Alice Cooper, <laughs> how many times and, can he uh, use it? <laughs> yeah. If I was Alice Cooper, but if I was Alice Cooper and, uh, and I loved horror films, it's like, um, I can't remember who it was. Uh, he's like a stormtrooper in star Wars and they're like, they completely covered up. They just wanted to be in it and they, you know, we're happy to come in and kind of yeah. do it for free. And they're wearing a they're wearing a costume, and no one no one knows it's them, but they know they're there. It's awesome. All right, uh, leave us a comment. <laughs> yeah. Let us who know. Yeah, let us know who that was as well. So my next one uh, is a film I kind of really forgot about, but um, going through my collection, you know, wanted to talk about it. Keeping the Faith, directed by Edward Norton, and it stars Ben Stiller and Jenna Elfman, uh, and, and Edward Norton. This is. A really unexpectedly sincere comedy that sort of plays on that whole joke of a, you know, a priest and a rabbi, and um, yeah, I saw this theatrically. I've seen it probably twice on home entertainment, and it does the trick for me. It works in in a really odd way, and it's very strange that Edward Norton would direct something like this. Essentially, a, a faith ish rom com following all of the hard edge films he'd previously acted in, and and the hard edge films he would go on to kind of direct and 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 star in. Uh, yeah, look, I really, I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed this film. I thought it was, I thought it was great. I was working at the video store when it came out, and I, I used to, used to feature in high rotation in store uh, when it was a new release. Yeah, and I thought Eli Wallach, Eli Wallach is like the, is like the, I can't remember, is he the older rabbi right. or is he the older, the older priest? Uh, but he's great in it. Always, always. I think he's a rabbi. Eli Wallach in a film. Yeah, he's the rabbi. Yeah, right. Uh, do you, mate, I have this memory. Um, do you remember the scene of Edward Norton losing control of the dreidel? He spins it around and it's like uh, yeah. flying everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That's and right. the other the other super vivid memory is the rabbi trading cards that they have as kids at the start, where I thought that was <laughs> a really right. kind of clever clever idea. Yeah, yeah. The biggest curiosity for me is the fact that Jenna Elfman is a raving Scientologist, and she's wedged in real life, and she's wedged between you know this priest and a rabbi in the movie. Yeah, you think it? 
that uh, wouldn't be the kind of film that she would do. I had no idea that she was, I didn't realize, I didn't re know she was a Scientologist and I had no idea that she was that Bodhi Elfman, her husband at the time was related to Oingo Boingo's Danny Elfman. <laughs> I think he is the son of Richard Elfman, who's right. also a director. Anyway. All right. How about now I just reel off a few titles in quick succession to try to actually tie it into Mark Savage, whose film is a little darker than the ones we've been talking about. Um, I think uh, Red State, you mentioned that before, which was the Kevin Smith film. I think that's a really good religion-based sort of thriller. Then you've got Devil, which is the one M. Night Shyamalan produced about the bunch of people trapped in an elevator, and one of them is Satan, and it's a bit of a mystery as to which one you got to figure it out and frailty with bill paxton that's a doozy oh what a classic of a film with otis the axe yeah i think that's as close to uh to to mark's purgatory road as any of them you know just in tone yeah yeah i mean it, like it's yeah it's it's not really a it's not a super metaphysical one either it's not like the prophecy films which are all to do with angels coming to earth and having a war and you know devils and stuff coming up it's it's more you know um god or jesus who i, I think they're the same thing right or whatever the whatever the weird kind of jedi <laughs> rules of faith are revolving around the father the son and the holy ghost uh they're just they're just they're just giving him visions uh yeah. <laughs> visions rather than taking an active hand in it they're like, like they're letting him do the work uh, of chopping up the oh, demons yeah. with his axe, and what a like! I mean, that movie is like a like a, if you don't if you've never seen it, don't I? I recommend not watching the trailer. Don't read up about the synopsis. Just kind of go into it blind because it is. I put it off for years. Again, I, I spent a lot of time not watching it. I had it on DVD for ages, and when I finally watched it, I was blown away. I thought this movie is freaking awesome. Bill Paxton. Bill, the late great Bill Paxton. I think he directed it, didn't he? It was his directorial debut, yes, I think, feature feature debut, and it is well worth uh, your time and effort to go out and track it down. It is available on DVD locally, or was for a long time, so you'd be able to pick it up on eBay for next to nothing, I would imagine. And I think um, some of our listeners might get pissed off at me if I didn't include Exorcist Three and Omen Three into the discussion, <laughs> but um, we don't have to go into those. They are they are something else. I love them both. What's happening everybody, it's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, apologies if the audio is again not really up to scratch, I've been having a few technical difficulties on my end that I can't seem to figure out, and of course there is construction next door, it's just started, great timing as always. Let's get straight into some news that we've covered on the website in the past week, kicking off with a Madonna movie, a Madonna movie is on the way from Universal Pictures, and guess who's directing? Madonna. That's right, the Material Girl will be directing her own biopic and will be co-writing it with Oscar-winning scribe Diablo Cody, whose credits include Juno and Jennifer's Body. Madonna will also be producing the picture alongside big-name producer and former Sony Pictures chief Amy Pascal. And no, Madonna will not be playing herself in the film. The search is now on for a young actress who will play her in the formative stages of her career. Former One Directioner Harry Styles is currently in final negotiations to star in a film adaptation of an LGBTQ-themed novel called My Policeman. Amazon Studios and big-time producer Greg Berlanti are behind the film. As reported by Collider, the film is to be set in 1950s Brighton, England, where school teacher Marion first catches sight of Tom and becomes instantly smitten at the handsome young policeman. Then Tom meets Patrick 
and, you know, drama unfolds. Lily James is currently in negotiations to play the female lead with a screenplay that comes from Oscar-nominated screenwriter Ron Nuiswaner, known for Philadelphia. Cameras are rolling once again on The Batman, as I told you guys last week. The new DC film was forced to shut production after Robert Pattinson got coronavirus. Variety is now reporting that Pattinson has been cleared to return to work and all seems to be moving again on the Matt Reeves-directed film. Looking forward to seeing this one when it comes out. New Zealand actor Anthony Starr, who you may know as Homelander from Amazon's The Boys, is set to star in a thriller called Cobweb. The Lionsgate thriller will also star Lizzie Kaplan, Cleopatra Coleman and Woody Norman. Directed by Samuel Bowden, known for Marianne, the film will be set in a small town and takes place in a seemingly ordinary house where a timid young boy hears a mysterious tapping from inside the walls and begins to suspect that his parents are hiding a terrible secret. Kaplan and Starr will be playing the boy's potentially malevolent parents. That about does it for me guys, just a quick one this week. Be sure to jump on ScreenRealm.com, we've always got trailers, movie news, giveaways happening. Thanks so much for having me guys. Until next week, I'm out of here. Everyone who's listening should head over to YouTube and check out Guillermo's podcast, or should I say vodcast. Episode 3 of Loud Observers is now up. He records that show with his wife Cassandra, and with <laughs> the funny thing is with COVID-19 rendering them housebound, there's plenty for them to talk about, and it's mostly silly and alcohol-fueled, so... Guillermo and Cassandra and their website Screen Realm have been massive motivational supporters of us here at Fake Shemp and Good Movie Monday. So if we can return the favor and direct all of you over to them, then that'll make me happy. So head over to YouTube, The Loud Observers, Episode 3. And speaking of people who support us, uh, it's time for Bonehead Weekly. So stick around because coming up, Mark Savage. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Today, we're talking about religious-themed horror films. Did I get that out right? Well, so, so, I literally was sitting here, and I was thinking about all the... Literally, we're sitting there. You weren't I was. I'm literally... This literally is going outside playing basketball, literally. Uh, no, what I was going to say is there's a ton of horror... As, or there's a ton of religious aspects that pop in horror. You have things like Carrie's Mom. You have things like the, wherever the event horizon goes. To me, I think the horror film that plays around with a religious concept better than anything else is Martyrs. The 2008 oh, I one. I almost picked it. I almost do, picked it. Do not but go for the remake. I it was a little remake. bit of a stretch for, I don't know why in my head it was just a little bit of a stretch, but yeah, Martyrs, oh gee, my Christmas. That is a... It, and don't go for the remake. Uh, not to knock American filming, but don't. don't watch I've never it seen it. it can't, um, there's no way. You can't, you just can't. It, what does it mean to be a martyr? What happens to martyrs? What is it? And so it takes on this kind of religious commentary and you have this kind of matriarch figure trying to figure out what martyrs know yep. and what it looks like and what does that mean? And so it takes on this quasi-religious element, but martyrs, once you watch it and, and that last scene, I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't rewatched it recently. I think I've seen it only twice, but I can remember shot by shot that last, probably the last five to 10 minutes of that yep. film just resonates from that suicide on yeah yeah and and so what does it mean to be a martyr so it's not a purely religious film it's not going to have tons of religious symbolism or what has tons of symbolism but not really it's not going to be banging you with a bible so to speak but this idea of what it means to be a martyr and what do martyrs know and and what is their connection to a higher power so martyrs is my pick Mine is from a guy named Ty West who did several religious-based kind of horror films. He, he did House of the Devil. If you've never seen it, check it out. It's basically a play on, and we looked at a lot, while well, looking at a lot of these when we're talking about, I'm sorry, Jay. 
No, the house of the devil. House Double the wide. Devil. Nobody knew. <laughs> no, it's actually a single wide. The devil ain't got no credit. But he's got all those accountants. He's got all. He can't even build a deck. He's got those cinder blocks for steps. Ty West has made several films that I've enjoyed, but one of them that I don't think gets enough credit is called The Sacrament. Basically, what it's about is it's Jim Jones. It's a a news team travels or a news guy travels to travel in the world of Eden Parish to find his missing sister. I'll read this completely from IMDb where it becomes apparent that his paradise may not be as it seems or this paradise is. It's got several people that you would know from these movies, AJ Bowen, Joe Swanberg. It bothered me in a sense of probably worse than actually knowing the truth about Jim Jones because of all the families that were hurt in this who had no control, the children that are hurt in these types of cults that have no control over any of this. And it just sticks with me and bothers me. And it's one of those that the world shouldn't be like this. Uh, I, mine is a stretch by every means of the words, but screw it, I'm doing it. Speaking of stretch, have you talked 1995, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. <laughs> Well, that's the most fun. That's yeah. the one I revisit the most. Honestly, the sacrament bums me out, and so does Martyrs. So, uh, Demon Knight, directed by Ernest Dickerson, starring, I'm going to do the top three, William Sadler, Jada Pinkett Smith, and in his best role, Billy Zane. Billy, and uh, be, being all Billy Zane could be. We've got yeah. Thomas Hayden Church, CCH Pounder, uh, jo, uh, voice of Roger Rabbit in that movie. The Charles late, great Washington. Dick Miller. Dick Miller. Oh, gee, man, Chris, that movie yeah. is so much fun. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it, what's wrong with you? Check it out. So what it's about, it's about all these people uh, stuck in a hotel uh, with a man who's been quested with fighting demons and protecting a sacred religious item. And it, it goes batshit crazy from beginning to end. And it is nonstop fun for about an hour and 35 minutes. So, and it's, it's religious-based. Come it at is. me, bros. You know, you, you, you gave the actual fun movie where James and I gave the movies that it's going to make you just open up a vein to see color. I, by the oh. way, I'm shocked. I didn't pick one because I was so sure one of y'all was going to do it. Nobody touched The Last Exorcism? No, but I loved it. I saw it in the theater with you. Uh, it ends two minutes too soon. And that movie's original title was Cotton because it's all about the preacher Cotton. And that's what that movie's about. It's not about the girl being exercised. And with that, Bonehead Weekly Fun Size, please tune in to Bonehead.
is there a better way to segue into an interview than with music from our own special guest's film. That piece of music was called Sex in the Moonlight by Glenn Gabriel, and it is from the Purgatory Road soundtrack. The writer and director of Purgatory Road is Mark Savage, who is on the line right now. G'day, Mark. Welcome to the show. G'day, Glenn. Good morning and uh, and good evening. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's been a long time overdue having you on this uh, show. How are things for you over there during this weird time in history right now? Yeah, it's been, um, you know, the lockdown has, has affected, you know, where I am at the moment in California. It's affected California, um, you know, in the sense that, you know, being the film centre of the film business here, like everything is like shut down and there's been like a lot of, um, you know, it's a lot of very, um, you know, upset and unhappy people to seeing their entire industry sort of shut down. And, you know, because it's, it's one of those industries where it's kind of impossible just to work from home. And uh, nobody really knows what's going to happen with, um, you know, with, with even things like theatres. You know, I was in Florida like a few weeks ago and I went to see a movie in Florida, um, the new Russell Crowe film. And um, while I was seeing, seeing that, like there was distancing there in Florida but um, in California, um, there's nothing, no theatres are open, but I did notice a theatre up the road from me has set up its own drive-in in their parking lot. I just noticed it yesterday because so, I was driving past it and I was thinking, what's that screen in their parking lot? And I realised they've actually set up a driving screen in their parking lot and they're showing older movies like The Exorcist and stuff like that. Well, from a media's point of view, there's like never been a better opportunity to snag some filmmakers because everybody's at home and willing. Yeah, to talk. yeah, that's right, that's right. And um, it's been um, that so so in a way that part of it, um, the at home aspect, hasn't really impacted me. And I've still been even doing shoots and shoots because I do, um, you know, I used to do quite a bit of shooting. So I've still been doing some shoots, but not shoots with a lot of people. Often more like shooting nature in forests and stuff like that. You know, so, you know, it's been um, you know, very, very severely impacted and different areas are affected in different, you know, different ways, even different cities. Like, I mean, I live in the Laguna sort of Orange County area, which is affected differently to the LA area. You know, LA area is more dense. So there seems to be more, you know, there seems to be in a way more sort of anxiety about even like getting food, um, you know, like moving around in LA than it does say in the Orange County area. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, right. Well, look, as I said earlier on, it's been way too long, mate. We first met at Monster Fest when Purgatory Road was premiering. And um, so let's just talk about the film. I mean, it's finally received an Australian release, which, you know, is fantastic. For our listeners who haven't seen it or don't know what it is, can you give them a brief synopsis of the story? Yeah, um, the film is sort of like a, you know, what I would say in a way, like a sort of like a horror crime hybrid. Um, pretty much about a man who at a very early age in his, in his life, um, he's very young, as a, as a kid, something happens, um, someone steals from his family. And as a result of someone stealing essentially um, his family's fortune, um, he grows up, becomes a priest, and uh, he's not necessarily a typical priest. You know, he's not necessarily a priest, um, you know, who's going to be at your local church, your local parish priest. He's a mobile confessional. He travels with his brother across the countryside and mostly in the south we shot it in Mississippi and takes confessions in towns that don't have churches and 
the one sin that he's not very, very, um, he's not cool with is stealing. <laughs> and so rather than actually, you know, forgiving someone, he generally, if they seem completely unrepentant and sort of like a little bit sort of, um, you know, uh, you about it, he, he, he kills them. Uh, so it's him. So it's him and his brother, him and his brother, they 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 lock horns about it, you know, because his he, his brother is supportive in the way a brother is. But you know, any brother who's supportive of his brother, most brothers are going to have a certain line, you know, that it's like, okay, I support you, but he doesn't necessarily support the fact that he's like he's willy nilly, you know, killing sinners like this. So it's really how the brothers come together, and um, there's a major event that that causes them to, um, you know, have a major split which is also compounded by the addition of a woman who comes into their life. And if you think the priest is psycho, well, this woman is probably, I would say, you know, <laughs> she's like five times more psycho than the priest is. And that, in a way, is where you... That's where the film goes. Once she enters the picture, uh, everything sort of... The dominoes sort of like start falling, and hopefully in unexpected ways. Oh, do they ever? I tell you what, too. Like you know, a lot of your films always have a personal touch to them, but I think this one definitely feels <laughs> yes. more personal than most. There's an underlying social commentary at play here. Like, can you take us back to what inspired the story? Yeah, it was in. It was an, it was an initially inspired by a road trip that I was taking with the co-writer Tom Pannell. We were driving up through California. I wanted to show him. Um, I wanted to show him the town where the film Dead and Buried was set because I love going there. It's called um, Mendocino that's in Northern California. So we were driving up Highway 1 to Mendocino and there was, a, there was at one point there was like a van in front of us and we are looking at the van and I was saying to him myself, you know, saying, what if that van, you know, what if that van wasn't just a regular like, you know, furniture removal van, but what if there's people inside there and that's their, their, their whole life is in going from town to town, like, um, you know, I mean, like they're priests. And he says, hey, what? what are you talking about? And I said, I like, because I've always liked the idea of, um, of vans that are traveling across the countryside, people inside, but it's their entire world. I, like, I love the whole idea of a world inside that. You know, it's very almost like TARDIS as well. But uh, it was also, so I love that idea, which is also somewhat inspired by the love of my favorite Fellini film, La Strada. You know, um, always love love La Strada with Anthony Quinn and Juliana Messina, and I, I I love that idea of them stopping along the road, doing their little shows, having their own inner conflict with themselves, then moving on to another town. So that inspired, and also inspired by the fact that I also myself went to a Catholic school um, in Melbourne, uh, Salesian College, which was, um, you know, I'd say like it was at the time when I was there, it was, it was sort of like to me, it was like it was like hell. You know, the priests were really brutal and. It was, um, you know, a lot of hypocrisy, <laughs> you know, you know, a lot of, you know, go to church on Sunday, go to hell on Monday type of hypocrisy going on there. <laughs> and <laughs> well, there lies the personal touch. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So that was, so yes, you, you are right. It, it is, there is a pretty major personal touch in the film. Yeah. Well, it's very potent. And I think um, to give listeners a, an idea of the tone of the film, if I'm not being too um, obscure, I think a really good comparable film would be um frailty the bill Paxton oh, yes. film i think yes. you really hit that kind of tone yes um and we were only talking um off mic um ben and i last week about there's another film called the traveling executioner and sort of you you nailed some of that as well i have that's a film i have not seen 
I, I must say that the troubling execution, I've never seen that film. Yeah, I've seen Frailty. I really like Frailty. I think Frailty's great. I mean, another film that also has a slight, a slight inner world is something like Near Dark. You know, I mean, they're not priests, but the idea that they're all in an RV as well, you know, and they're like traveling from town to town. They park their vehicle somewhere where, you know, during the day they can all sleep. And then, you know, at night they, you know, they get out and wander around and, you know, um, do their vampire thing. I... I, yeah, I just really like that. I really like that idea. I mean, when I talked to you about the film initially and you watched the movie, you know, you were one of the first people who reviewed the movie at a Monster Fest and it was really um, encouraging because, you know, you really got the movie. <laughs> you know, because I'm sort of used to making films a lot of the time where people either just kind of dismiss the more sort of um, extreme elements as and almost review yeah. those as the movie. You know, kind of like, oh, this is just, you know, um, either too violent or it's, you know, the characters are unlikable or, you know, I mean, they're attacking more, it being a subject they don't like rather than, um, rather than say, for example, pulling apart the plot structure or, or, or something like that. So I really, I really was very um, encouraged because I thought, oh, well, okay, this is great because it means that it does have an audience that, that, that gets it, not just going to sort of go, you know, people, because you don't want people just watching your film because, um, oh, well, what else is on? Or, you know, oh, yeah, that, I'm going <laughs> to watch that. You hope that you hope that people will get something, something out of it. And I try not to, in a way, well, I'm just not really interested in making what you might call just more straight horror in the sense of, well, this is a slasher, this is a this, is this, this is that. I, I, I just never find, even if I try doing that, I find it just never works because I always end up going into something else. And even the distributor of the film now uh, who did the international, which is um, Jenga films. Uh, and he's a filmmaker himself, Julian Richards, who runs Jenga. Um, he even himself had also said, Oh, well, it's not completely a horror. It's like horror and crime film as well. And he's right. You know, like it, it is. And even though, I, even though I'm very happy to say it's a horror film, um, uh, but I, I can understand if someone also says, well, there's also crime thriller aspects of it because there is, because I also really love that genre too. Well, I guess too, at this point in time, you haven't really been able to gauge the Australian response to it. So I'd be yeah. really keen to see how Aussies do respond and whether they can contextualize and strip away all those layers. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. That's what I took away from it. Yeah. I'm very, yeah, I'm, I'm really, um, because I'd say the last film that I had released in Australia that had like, you know, a decent release was my film, um, Sense the New Age Killer. And, and with that, um, you know, it got, you know, some, it was very much like some people seemed to kind of get it, you know, other people didn't. I remember it, it got some, it got some decent mainstream reviews. I remember even like, um, the guy who reviews films in the Herald Sun, um, Lee, Lee Patch. I don't know if he still reviews it, yep. but, um, I remember him giving it a him giving it a really good review and uh, feeling oh that's good you know because um, you just never know like because because at the same time like my very first film I ever made um, Marauders um, like to me the main Australian review of that I I, I remember because it was probably one of the only ones was a David Stratton review and he just des <laughs> he's desperate. <laughs> You know, and, and like he, he literally says, he it literally ended with something like, um, "This man should probably consider where his where his career is going is going from here." Like, uh, but, but, that's what he but, does for a living. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it was um, it was a it was a variety review. Yeah, like he 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 reviewed it in variety, and it, and he just seemed completely like just 
just I think just really offended by the movie and just kind of like horrified by uh, by the content you know and I'm not saying that there isn't aspects of the content that that you know that some folks you know won't find horrific but it was just kind of funny that that was the that was the key that was the key Australian review of the movie Purgatory Road is finally available in Australia and New Zealand as we said on Fetch TV Google Play and iTunes and you must be relieved is the distribution hustle harder these days with streaming platforms now dominating the industry uh yeah yeah it's it's uh i guess the answer is it's it's harder to get it's harder to get good deals that bring revenue because for example mm. you know you can put your film up on say just on amazon prime but amazon prime you know they pay around one cent an hour if someone watches the movie mm. and it's very hard to build a business on one cent an hour you know very difficult so even though there are more platforms there's also more, you know, to just generalise it, more product. So, you know, you can put your stuff up, but it's very hard, for example, then for someone to kind of go amongst, you know, 20,000 new titles to go which one they're going to watch. Um, so it, this is also the reason why it's very important, probably now more than ever, that even when you're making indie movies, you do need to have some sort of name in them. Um, I think the days are gone where you just make an indie movie and think, oh, well, I'm going to make a killing, a la, say, Blair Witch. Um, the difference was Blair Witch uh, made its money because it, it did get theatrically released. And at that time, there wasn't a glut, there, there wasn't a glut of product in the same way that there is now. Um, and at that time, I mean, that, that was pre, in a way, the success of that was pre-internet because that, that didn't make its fortune on the internet. That made its fortune theatrically and becoming a cult movie. And it didn't have any, that didn't have any names. Whereas... The reason for names now, and I mean, it's it's an interesting situation because when you have a name, um, like it's it's not necessarily saying there aren't equivalent, there are not equivalently talented people who are, who are not names. It simply just means that by having the name, you may get a better position on a platform and you'll get a better distributor because you've got that name. In the latest film, um, yeah, having Michael Perret, and instantly it was like, oh, Michael Perret's in it. So at the moment we're going through the distribution aspect with that one. And our, our in a way, our entry, our the thing that's opening the gates to bigger distributors is the fact that he, he's in it. And also, and then, and, and also um, Bill Obis Jr. So you've kind of got people who, who have got big IMDb's, um, followings um, who are also really great actors, um, but you know, in a way, but that's kind of where that's kind of where it's going, and it does make it hard. It does make it hard if you don't have that, and it's not that you don't get distribution, but you don't get distribution that may bring you back some decent revenue. That's the key difference. Absolutely. I oh, look. I could I could talk about this stuff with you for hours, um, yeah. but we are running out of time. Before before we do wrap up, is there? Can do you want to spruik your new film or anything else you've got going on? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The new film is the new film is called Painkiller. Uh, we just finished it. Like, like it is, it is finished. Um, it's not out anywhere, so it's just finished. And it, it's about a guy who's he basically um, it's fighting the big. It's fighting big pharma. It's it's a guy whose daughter dies of um, his daughter dies of, of an opioid opioid related um, complication. And so he basically decides that he personally is going to start taking on Big Pharma. And so he's not so much attacking the dealers, he's attacking the executives and the doctors who are over, yeah. over prescribing. So it's really his big war, his big war on, on Big Pharma, a very, 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 very personal war. And uh, Bill Oberst is the guy. And 
Michael Perret and Michael Perret um, sort of he's representative of in a way the worst of the doctors because a lot of it is mm-hmm. doctors over prescribing you know um, so that's yeah, right. so hopefully people can can um, can watch out for that I'd say I'd say it probably won't be out for at least another sort of like three to six months because at the moment we're still selecting who we're gonna who we're gonna go for. Well, it sounds uh, delicious. <laughs> it's, the, it's my kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you'll enjoy it. Oh, I can't wait to see it. And for people that are looking to catch Purgatory Road, look, if you're a legitimate collector, the film is still available on Blu-ray and DVD in yes. the states. So I would highly recommend tracking down a physical copy but in the meantime fetch tv google play and itunes is where you can find it mark thanks for dropping by it's been long overdue mate and it's been a pleasure hopefully we can do it again that'd be great thanks so much glenn hey guys it's adam here from adam's just seen with another good movie monday recommendation this time i'm hitting you with a fresh one i'm hitting you with the devil all the time which has just dropped on Netflix. Now, I could give you a plot synopsis for this film, but I'd probably be doing the film at a service and it would take up three quarters of this review. All you need to know is that this is a dark, nasty, southern fried noir that is intergenerational. This is about the violence that men do and how their sons pick that baggage up effectively. Uh, it's got everything that you need. It's got uh, <laughs> crazy sermons, it's got handguns, shotguns, every kind of gun. It's got uh, killers of every single kind of perversion. Uh, this is a film that leans into the darkness and that's why I really liked it because I think that you know films have become so safe and there are themes that people don't want to explore and this movie has got about three or four things inside it. That, it's got so many things in it to make you squirm that you're going to find three or four that you find distasteful and so that's my kind of movie our director Antonio Campos here is I think rock solid the movie is gorgeously shot it's really atmospheric he captures this landscape and imbues it with a real sense of menace the cast is absolutely mentally stacked you've got Tom Holland here in the lead um, Spider-Man giving basically his best screen performance he's, he's given awesome support by Bill Skarsgård here Pennywise the Clown uh, which you know and it's great to see him outside of that role and establish himself as just a normal dude because he always leans normal to kind of freakish caricatures Riley Keough can do no wrong I'm in love with her and this is just another impeccable performance in her filmography Jason Clark, solid as always, almost unrecognisable Sebastian Stan here, a bunch of others, and your boy Batman, Robert Pattinson, are playing hugely against type here, and people will be talking about this, so Spider-Man versus Batman, if you will. But look, if you like your films, you know, long, dark, complicated, as I said, intergenerational, then this is the film for you. It reminds me of something kind of like Prisoners, uh, it's definitely got that kind of vibe, lawless, uh, the placement on the pines those kind of movies and I, look, I really really like all those movies my only complaint would be is about the runtime and look this is a lengthy film at 138 minutes but it should have been longer because it has so many good actors you want to spend more time with them and you wish that we almost had half an hour to 40 minutes dedicated to every single one of these really really interesting characters but uh yep dropped on netflix this week very easy for you to reach uh and check it out and i and look i'm gonna go and watch it again this weekend because the story is is you know some could argue convoluted i would say just complex and i want to go back and see if there's some moments that i missed but yeah really solid thriller i think and definitely probably one of my films i've enjoyed the most this year because i definitely have a leaning to southern fried gothic thrillers enjoy damn man like jake gyllenhaal he's like becoming a really good producer he's producing some really interesting stuff over the last couple of years i wouldn't have expected you know him to be like this he did uh, the aussie film relic did no you know i that? didn't but i look i reckon he needs he he's probably doing it because his body has to take a break from all that rapid 
weight loss and weight gain and weight loss and stuff. He's doing the Christian Bale, <laughs> Bale thing, and it just you know needs some time to recover. Oh, his production company is called Nine Stories Productions, and they're doing some some interesting things. So, um, anyway, just throwing a bit of trivia in there for everybody that don't know that he, he produces films. No, he's like he's like he's like the Danny DeVito mm. of his day, or the Henry <laughs> or the Henry Winkler of his day. Because <laughs> that's my favorite thing about watching MacGyver because it's on TV at the moment. Is the Henry Winkler production producer credit at the end, and you're like. God, I keep forgetting that the Fonz made MacGyver. Like <laughs> anyway, uh, everyone, if you uh, want to win this week's giveaway, we've got copies of Nomads and Radio Flash. Thanks to our friends at Eagle Entertainment. I'm yet to watch Nomads, but I can tell you now I have watched Radio Flash and it's a really solid survivalist film that takes place on the cusp of the apocalypse if you want to win these then you need to tell us what the tv spot earlier in the show was trying to advertise because we left out the actual title all you have to do is email glenn at fakeshamp.net and the first two correct answers will win but get in fast because these things have actually been snapped up almost immediately after the episode drops so get on it quick and now ben time for us to recommend stuff for people to watch i'm gonna go first this week fantastic uh, my recommendation has zero relevance to pretty much anything we've discussed today. So, other than it's a sequel. <laughs> uh, it's a sequel I think has never really received the recognition it deserves and you can kind of understand why, but it is 2010, the year we make contact from 1984. So, this is a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Totally um, understandable that it never got the response that it probably deserved, I mean, how do you follow in the footsteps of such a monolith film? That's the thing. Uh, but, you know, in terms of narrative and production value, I think it's a brilliant film. It's directed by Peter Hyams, who I think in that sort of decade was a really great director. It picks up nine years later after the signal from David Bowman is uh, received on Earth, which is sort of how uh, the first film ended, I guess, in that the big giant, trippy trip down the, a wormhole. The giant baby calls out. Is that what happens? The giant baby calls that to her, yeah. and then it turns into a, a mimi me, yeah. and, 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 and the the message was yeah. mama, me me me. Was a mobile phone plan, uh, but but the film is set up with a message being received from Dave, and then uh, a joint mission between America and Russia is put together to sort of rendezvous with the discovery to um to find out what happened and what they actually discover is quite breathtaking and i just think that it's it's overshadowed by that first film and it's a real shame the cast is amazing it had roy scheider leading it had helen Mirren, john lithgow bob Balaban, and kia dahlia or however you pronounce his name he came back never seen it but then i only saw 2001 a space odyssey i think in the last what 24 months uh and i was not yeah, right i cannot say that i was particularly impressed uh with it that's understandable if you've come to it so late you know yeah and look i, I do understand that, that kubrick expected people to be high on acid when they <laughs> but you can also so, i mean uh, even if you even if you that. don't particularly like the film i guess you can watch the original and and appreciate the sort of the majesty of it like you know it's it's quite stunning to look at yeah look i mean i like look i like the stuff with the monkeys that a lot of people don't like <laughs> i you know I enjoyed that. Like, I mean, it does seem to go for 40 minutes, but you know, whatever. It was fine. Like it was an interesting part. And I found that part really interesting in the book. The monkey stuff was real. I thought was really interesting. And then, you know, the space stuff I, I thought was kind of, um, I thought they were kind of really um, 
referencing a lot of that in um, Ad Astra. Yeah. The kind of the way that the space station stuff worked and the space tourism and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was all pretty cool. I just thought, I just, I just thought it was like a, you know, 20 minutes of plot stuffed into two and two and a half hours of film. I can, I can appreciate that. My dad hates this film. He's a science, he's science fiction buff and he hates it. But I think, look, talking about 2010, I think the production design feels much more like Ridley Scott's Alien. It goes for that kind of look. Yeah. Definitely. But as far as the science concerned, the science is actually really good. And the reason I discovered this film in the first place was my science teacher in high school told me that from a scientific point of view, he's never seen a more accurate depiction of space. Just in right. the way the salt, the way the sulfur forms and the way that um, the silence in space, which we all knew, but this film sort of, you know, was my first introduction to how space would really be. Uh, and it's just a clever film. And I guess what a lot of fans hate about it is that it removes the ambiguity of the first one, that finale. This one explains it. Right. And and maybe I should watch this it. one has an this one has an equally impressive finale, which is like I said earlier, it's just beautiful and breathtaking. Uh, but I think fans would just didn't like the fact that it took away from the mystery of Kubrick. Yeah, right. I just look I I, I always like Dark Star better. <laughs> I always thought, I thought Dark Star was superior. <laughs> has, but maybe I need to watch two thousand ten. Yeah, it has, it has a, a beach ball, ball alien. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Before I before I let you go, an interesting bit of trivia for people is that Arthur C. Clarke actually wrote four novels in the Odyssey series. So we had two thousand and one, two thousand and ten, two thousand sixty one, and two and three thousand and one. And Tom Hanks owns the rights to those, and he's been trying for twenty years to make the second two novels, and still hasn't. Geez, if Tom Hanks can't make the movie, uh... <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know what's going on. They must they must really suck. If Tom Cruise can't make it happen, they must suck. Tom Hanks. Did I say Tom Cruise? Tom Hanks. No, sorry. I I I guffawed. Well, Tom Cruise is going into space for his next film, so maybe he is trying to make it. Yeah. Imagine if Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks teamed up to make 2069 a sex odyssey. You oh, know that old Imagine that. The old film. Imagine the imagine the billing yeah. Tom Tom. The K and C, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Double a Tom <laughs> in space. <laughs> two times the Tom, uh, two times the space. I'm trying to think of that would be amazing. I'm trying to think of jokes, but nothing will beat my French fry quip earlier. So it's your <laughs> turn, mate. It's your turn. Uh, well, luckily, my my recommendation this week does tie in with something uh, earlier in the show. I mentioned that last Friday was the birthday of uh, Cassandra Peterson also known as Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And so I I thought I would would have a quick talk about the feature film, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, which has come out on Blu-ray both in the UK and the US. It was released here in Australia by moi (laughs) when I was working at uh, Bounty Films. And it does have the... I love how on this this UK edition, the Blu-ray does mention an archival commentary and if by archival they mean the commentary that i asked elvira to record uh in 2012 then i i guess that's archival because it's brand new <laughs> i don't know what they're talking about but uh the uh, the movie's pretty good it's you know it's very kind of typical kind of elvira uh kind of stuff she um she quits her job as a host as a horror host after being sleezed on one too many times mm-hmm. by dodgy producers and uh moves back to uh her i believe it's her uncle or aunt's 
uh, she inherits like a, a family member dies and she inherits a, a castle yep. and moves back. But there's some nefarious elements in the in the goody two shoes uh, town elders and like there's a creepy old man who wants the property and would do anything to get rid of her if you know. And there's I'm sure there's some stipulation in the will that if she does something wrong, then he gets the house. So that's what he's kind of pushing for. But um, the I do recommend you go out and get the the Arrow uh, Blu-ray. There is a phenomenal making of Docker that was put together by a good friend of mine who's unfortunately no longer with us uh, uh, by the name of Sven Thomas Weber. Uh, he painstakingly put this documentary together. It's called Too Macabre, uh, the story of, of Elvira. And he literally talks to just about everybody who was involved in the film. And it, it, is, it is an amazing Docker. It almost deserves its own release because it is, it is that good. So um, yeah, look, I, I recommend you uh grab that you can get it from amazon now in australia you can get it from zavi yeah. it is available it does play on our players it is the correct region uh well worth the effort i second that motion and you know i always thought that elvira mistress of the dark and her leap from television to film feels very similar to sort of uh the the juxtaposition between Wee herman's tv show and that film yeah <laughs> even though it went in yeah well because i mean went in reverse because Wee's film i think came first and then the tv show but you know it's just they have that same frivolous yeah. frivolous kind of feel well they're all they're all friends together they're all in the groundlings and let's yep. start stuff together like if you jump on youtube you'll find like music videos of cassandra peterson singing with james paragon and and uh, Wee herman john and, paragon uh john paragon yeah yep. um did, didn't i say john paragon I james. did i say sean paragon james, james paragon because uh, James Signorelli is the one is the director of uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. But uh, yeah, John Paragon, who is a member, did the commentary with uh, Elvira and Edie McClure. Oh, mate! Uh, just another plug for for my fantastic commentary that I organised, that I, I I made happen. It's, it exists because of me, and I didn't get a thank you. It, I didn't get a thank <laughs> you on the release. <laughs> Edie McClure, also um, from Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yep, and uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's right. Completely unrelated. <laughs> it's just another film she did. You sounded like Dirty Harry just then. <laughs> He's a righteous dude. <laughs> uh, anyway, those were our recommendations, so make sure you check them out and let us know what you think. Drop us some feedback on Facebook and we'll engage you back with some banter. And with that, we're at the end of the show, so thanks to Mark Savage for popping in to discuss Purgatory Road. Um, that was a shorter version of a much longer conversation. So um, we will make the full interview available to you real soon. Uh, and Mark will be featured in this Tuesday night's upcoming Rapid Fire video. So be on Facebook and YouTube for that. Anyway, Ben, thank you, sir. It's always a pleasure. My pleasure. James Bond sucks. <laughs> and thanks to Jarrett, Guillermo, Adam, and those lads at Bonehead Weekly. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're going to leave you with a tune from the 1990 classic comedy nuns on the run this song is the race by yellow it's an absolute banger have a great week everyone and we'll see you on the socials
Billy McCluskey from Palm Springs reporting for Embassy Sports of America. 20 seconds to the start of the 31st Pontiac race on a hot Sunday afternoon.